Just yesterday, I was on my way to my son's football match, and one of his, one of his friend's fathers, who's a good friend of mine, we were on, in the front of the car listening to him talk about Pokemon cards and various other things that young children are now obsessed by. And uh, my friend began to tell me a story of the beginning of the first lockdown. And you remember that time where uh, the government was telling you how, how much and for how long you could go out of your house. And we were all, to some degree, weren't we, living in fear. We didn't know what we were facing, how virulent the virus was and all these other things. And so he took his daily constitutional walk and he headed out near his house, which is actually quite near my house, and he headed out to a place called the Green Line, which is where I like to walk my dog. And, and he went out there, and he felt a little bit funny, to be honest, as he left the house. A little bit off. Something wasn't really quite right, and he didn't know what it was, but he thought, well, maybe it's because I've been holed up for the last three weeks in my house without going anywhere. I don't know. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the fear. Something in the environment's not right, though, and he continued his walk down the hill, and he arrived at the green line. And by this point, he was feeling really quite strange. He'd begun to feel actually a touch queasy, a little bit nauseous. And he descended the steps, which go onto the green line, and he, beautiful weather at this time, wasn't it? But it didn't take the edge off this queasiness. In fact, it began to build so much so that he thought he might actually be sick. And it was at this point that my friend realized he put his glasses on when he left the house, but in fact, he hadn't put his glasses on, he put the wrong glasses on. And as a consequence, everything was out of focus. And things were so out of focus for him that he could no longer see, and that began to affect his perspective, and he began to feel sick. His whole being, if you like, was thrown off kilter by the shift, by the out of focus by the lack of proper perspective. I love New Year. I absolutely love it. It's, it's like, <laughs> I, know, I know New Year's not in the church calendar. I mean, we're doing epiphany at the moment for those that are interested in that kind of thing. But it's definitely in my calendar. For me, it's like, it's the most precious time of year. And a part of that is because I love a resolution. I'm quite disciplined and I, I love to achieve things and tick things off and succeed at things. And I know many of you are like, I hate resolutions. They're too, I don't like being controlled. And, but I love it. Love a bit of self-discipline. It's a, it's a big, uh, it's a gift and it's also a failing and a fault at times as well. But what I do love about New Year is the opportunity to look anew. To look afresh at things, to take a fresh look at the same old things often, my habits, my behaviors, my perspectives, but to look at them again and say, okay, well, hang on, this is like a, a reboot button. I've got this moment to reboot. What do I want this next season, this next year, this next thing to be about? I love that opportunity to refocus. And over the new year, we were with some friends celebrating a, a friend's child's birthday, we're sort of in a few with this group, and I just said to them, I said, look, if you had one word, if you could choose one word, I like doing this as a New Year's discipline, one word for this new year, what would it be? And I, a few people shared some different things, and I said, for me, the word is breakthrough. I want to see breakthrough. That's what I want, and, and I want to share with you, I do feel a measure of breakthrough personally. I'm not boasting. 
<laughs> That's not my intention at all, but I do feel a sense of renewal in my life, in my heart, in my spiritual life, my relationship with God, in faith, in hope, in expectation at the moment. I've got to say that comes at the end of a period. Let's pray it's the end of a period. But as a consequence, after a period of real difficulty, even darkness, and by that I don't mean evil, I just mean some kind of distance, a difficult season in my life, not just with COVID, but even before that, questions, where are you, God? What are you doing? What are you saying? And I feel like for me, it's been really exciting to be walking into a sense of renewal. And when I say that I want to see breakthrough, I'm speaking for myself personally, but I'm actually also speaking for this Family, for this church, for this house. My prayer is that we would see breakthrough. And we were sharing this on Wednesday, our staff prayers. We do this every Wednesday. We gather to pray. And I just said to the team, same thing, same question to you. What is it you want to see? What, what thing do you feel God wants you to ask him for? Like if you were going to be really bold, what would you go to God and say, I want this this year, Father? It was amazing to hear a shared sense of, well, I want, to see, I want to see steps taken in this area. I want to see freedom from the cares about what the people think about me. I want to see breakthrough in this area of my life. I want to be filled with a greater confidence in who God is and so on and so forth. It was so exciting. And I have a sense for our church that we are coming into a time where God is asking us that question. We want to see a shift in the environment, don't we? Not just which way the chairs are positioned. Although let that be symbolic of something. But we need to see a shift in the environment, in our city and in our church family. And my question to you is, what would you ask for if you were going to be bold and go to the Father and say, I want this this year. What is it? Be clear, be specific, and start praying for that. And my prayer for you is that you would consider that this year, asking God for personal renewal. Because that is what a church on fire is. A church on fire is a family of people who are pursuing and experiencing renewal in faith. And so over the course of the next few weeks, as we come into the weekend away, Amy and I are going to be looking at some keys to renewal. Some particular things that unlock, can unlock renewal in our lives. And today I want to look at one, which is illustrated by that story I told at the the beginning of the service, the beginning of the sermon, which is simple focus. Simple focus. And that's what we see actually, isn't it, in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus speaks into this question of where our focus is, where our perspective is. And the context there, as I read, is that Jesus is addressing worldly concerns. He's addressing where we actually live. Not where we wish we live, but where we actually, as broken, sinful human beings, where we live most of the time. Things like, am I going to have enough money to pay rent or to pay my bills this month? Will enough jobs come in for me? Uh, What are we going to wear? Do we have clothing? Do we look as good as this person or that person on Instagram or whatever else? He's addressing questions of life. The things that you and I worry about each and every day. Just by virtue of the fact that we are 
human. He's addressing worldly concerns. And so he speaks about treasure. He says, don't store up treasure on earth. Don't store up treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't work for what's here, what's material. Don't work for what's finite. Invest in what's infinite, infinite. No, I'm not talking about crypto. Invest in the stuff which doesn't ever rot, which can't be stolen. Where thieves cannot break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus here is looking to get beyond the question of treasure to the question of the the geography, the location, if you like, of your heart. How how many of us know that that more stuff doesn't make life more simple? You know, you get a dishwasher to simplify your life, and let's be honest, it's nice not to wash dishes, but then it breaks. Oh, and then you've got to call the fellow who's going to come and fix it and he doesn't answer the call and you're left for the week without and you've forgotten how to wash dishes anyway. You don't know how to do that anymore and you can't live without this thing now that you never even needed before you had one. Oh, you know, maybe it's an Alexa. By the way, all she's doing is listening into stuff. You say to sell it to the Russians. (laughs) Or maybe that's not true. Uh, To sell it to Amazon, that certainly is true. You know, you figure, oh, I, I can't wake up in the morning, I can't function without Alexa now. And she's on the blink, and how am I going to survive? You know, more stuff, more technology, more things in our lives don't simplify our lives. They can become distractions from what really matters. Possessions can do this. And so Jesus is addressing this fundamental thing. And then in verse 24, he begins to uh, intensify the point, and he connects it to worship. He says, you can't serve two masters. No slave can serve two masters because they're going to be divided between the concerns of both masters. You can't serve God and mammon, money. But he personalizes it. Mammon is a God. He says, really, what's at issue here is worship. You can either worship treasure, money, or you can worship God. You can't have it both ways because both want to be your master. And what's fascinating, I think, about this is what Jesus says in the middle of the two. He talks about treasure and money. And then in the middle, he takes what seems to be a diversion. And he talks about the eye. What's he doing? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Why this sandwich? Why the eye in the middle? Well, Jesus is saying, look, it's really about your perspective. Your pursuit of treasure and of money is evidence that your eye is on the wrong thing. You've become distracted from what really counts, from what really matters. Literally, the eye, the word for eye there is in the singular, single eye. Jesus is saying you need to be single-eyed or single-minded, as we might say it. We need to become focused on the things which matter the most. 
And what Jesus is saying treasure does, and what the worries about clothing, and we'll come into this in weeks to come, and worries about uh, how we're perceived by others, and the worries about whether we have enough of this or that or the other, what they do is distract from the singular focus, which is to define and describe the life of every disciple of Jesus, whatever context they're placed in, whatever age they are, whatever experiences they have, whatever money is in their bank account, whatever dreams they have for their future. We are created as human beings to focus on one thing and one thing alone. And the difference between disciples of Jesus and everybody else isn't that we're any better at anything, but it's just that we've heard the message that this should be the focus. And we are those who are constantly being called back to refocus on this one thing. We have a very simple job description as disciples, and we work it out in millions of, billions of different contexts. What is the job description? What is the single focus? Here we go, verse 33. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well, will be given to you as well. Seek first. So simple. The word seek means seek after, to strive for, to desire, to search for, to long for. The thing that you're seeking for is the thing that moves your heart. You know, uh, do any of you daydream? You know, you sort of wistfully, yeah, often it's, for me, it's in my prayer time. And I'm like, I sort of come to and I'm like, why have I been thinking about my golf swing for the last five minutes? It's sad, it's tragically sad. That I do that, but I do do that. Uh, you know, and what it, I mean, it's a silly example, but it describes something of my longings, right? The thing that you daydream about, the thing you long, and there are more serious things as well. You know, you think about that experience you're longing to have, or that uh, person you're longing to meet, or whatever else. The, your daydream describes your longing. That's the thing you're seeking for, the longing of your heart. This word is used 14 times in Matthew's gospel and it's used in Matthew 13, 45 to to describe a merchant seeking a pearl. How does a merchant seek a precious pearl? With intensity, with singularity, with focus, the merchant forgets everything else, right? And just zones in on this one thing and and it's used in Luke's gospel 15, verse 8. In those three stories about things which were lost and we, we find a, a woman searching, seeking in her house for a lost coin, a drachma. This very precious thing she's lost, which is essential for her life. What does she do? Paraphrasing here, she turns the house upside down. It's in the message, I think, that. She turns the house upside down until she finds the thing. The one thing she's been seeking. That's what it means to seek. What are we to seek? So, so we are to be singularly focused people. Not distracted. And the word Jesus uses for distraction there is anxiety. It means to be divided. To have divided loyalties, a divided mind, a divided heart. 
Not, we are called to be singularly focused as disciples. What on? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. God's will in God's way. And you might think that the will of God is, uh, oh, okay, it's, it's, you might think it's a very prescriptive thing, a narrow thing. Well, there are times where God makes his will really very, very clear to us. There are particular things he calls us to do. Maybe he speaks to us in prayer or through somebody else about a particular course of action that he longs for and desires for us. That is the way, absolutely the way we should expect God to speak to us as disciples. But the will of God, as well as being specific, is also broad and generous. It is a field. It isn't a tightrope on which we walk. It is a field, an, adv- a, an adventure playground we get to explore as we journey in intimate, relational, dynamic relationship with God, who is our Father. His, his kingdom is his purpose. It's his vision. It's his goal for the world. And what is his goal? It's to see the whole of creation filled with his presence. To see every single atom in the universe praising and worshipping him. Everything that's in bondage to be set free. Everything that's disconnected to be connected to the source. His kingdom is expansive and abundant. It is beautiful. It is rich. And I say to you today, uh, with the authority of Jesus, who said it a couple thousand years ago, that there is no other purpose for a human life that makes sense like this one. Seek first the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign. See the Lord's Prayer for details. Thy kingdom come. And this is called a parallelism where one, one word, one line interprets the next. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. His kingdom coming means his will being done on earth as in heaven. The kingdom coming means heaven on earth. The kingdom coming means heaven on earth. And you and I, as disciples of Jesus, are to be singularly focused On seeing the heaven, God's heaven, God's rule, God's reign, God's reality invading this reality. Not in some sort of nebulous, what other word can I think of? Abstract, spiritualized, it is spiritual, but it's going to break into the real world. So it means lost people being found, it means addicted people. Walking out of addiction. Enslaved people becoming freed. It concerns the material conditions of life as much as it does the inner spiritual conditions. It's both. It's everything. To seek the kingdom is to put our whole lives at the disposal of God's will and rule. And so the posture of seeking the kingdom is a posture of surrender. We lay aside autonomy, self-governance. And we say, my life is not my own. I'm seeking someone else's agenda. Not my agenda, but somebody else's agenda. And that someone is Jesus Christ. To partner with God to pursue heaven on earth. And for those who do this, it says all these things, in other words, all the things that we might otherwise pursue, well, they get thrown in as well. 
As you seek the kingdom, God provides for your earthly needs in the most surprising ways. C.S. Lewis said this, when we put first things first, put first things first, sorry, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both, both first and second things. You know, there is a divine order to life. You know that? Do you know that the stuff in this book isn't just like random? It's, it's, it's not like, it's not kind of like, try this and maybe if that doesn't work, try that. No, it's like, this is like, it's like a manual if you like. It's a handbook for how life is supposed to be ordered. For the way that things are supposed to function. And when we seek the kingdom of God, other things fall into alignment in our lives. You know, you may be experiencing misalignment. Jesus speaks about that, and the evidence of that is often worry. Do you know worry is the, I'm going to get onto this in weeks to come, but let me just say as a bit of a sort of foretaste now. Worry is a, is a, is a sign. It's, a, it's honestly the most helpful. It's like a gauge on, the, on, the, on your car. What's that thing? The dashboard? Is that, is that what they call it? <laughs> Thank you. It's like, you know, when the hazard light comes on? That's what a lack of peace in your spirit is. It's really helpful. Don't, don't start feeling bad about it. Don't start like, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I'm feeling worried. Ask the question, why am I feeling this? And, and here's a really helpful question. Start to, I'm ruining two weeks, the sermon in two weeks' time here. But maybe this is for somebody today. Start thinking, when did I lose my peace? Specifically, in which conversation was it? When I read which email did I lose my peace? Right? That's what worry is meant to be. I don't even know what I was saying before, but... We seek first the kingdom, and the we find actually that other things just ratchet into place. Misalignment, things are realigned. When we put him first. Simple. So I expect to see your homework on my, on my desk. By the end of the day, I want to see every one of you doing this completely, perfectly by the end of the service. Simple, right? Simple focus. Well, it is simple, but it sure ain't easy. <laughs> and there is a vast ocean of difference between simple and easy. It's very difficult because it's so easy to lose focus. There are so many things, people, processes by which we can become distracted. As Calvin said, the heart is an idle factory. Ain't that the truth? We can be convinced that the goal of life is to climb the career ladder, to become financially comfortable, to have the biggest pension, perhaps, to be sexually fulfilled, to stay free of disease. By the way, none of us gets out of life alive. To amass power, to be as well-educated as possible. Now... These things may come to you. They may. 
They may not. None of them are a right. But they're never to be the first thing. They're second things. And we're to seek the kingdom. And I want to say to you today, to this church, it is time to refocus. As the church of Christ, it, I never before has it been so difficult for me personally, I'll speak for myself, to, to remain and retain focus. When the whole, it feels like there are tectonic plates under my feet and they're changing week to week. We can gather this week. We can't gather next week. We've got to wear this. We've got to wear that. You've got to turn around and circle that way and this and that. And then it, I know it's like just so complicated and confusing. I mean, how do you lead yourself in times like this? And we've all felt isolated. We've all felt distracted. We've all felt that sense of being taken away from the things which matter the most. But I believe what lies ahead of us as a church is a breaking into a new future. I do, dare I say, believe that the configuration, the orientation of the room is significant. It is a new configuration for those that have only just joined us. We used to face that way. And about this time, the sun would shine in my face and I wouldn't be able to see a thing. And it's like we're returning to something that we've had before. We can look at each other again, but it's new. There is a new future into which I believe God is calling us. A vision for the church on fire, for personal renewal, for breakthrough, for the city coming alive. I believe that God is raising up an army, a weak army, as Amy has spoken to us about a number of times, who seek him first and through seeking him are enabled and empowered to change the atmosphere of the places into which God has called them. How are we going to do that? We need to be realigned. <laughs> to have our perspective healed. Maybe to take off the spectacles that we realize weren't ours. And weren't serving us. And to place on kingdom spectacles. To receive kingdom focus. So I end with this. What does seeking the kingdom look like in your life? What does it look like in your schedule, with your financial situation, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your friendships. Because God wants every part of our lives to be aligned to this one focus, seeking first his kingdom. What might be in the way of you pursuing that with everything you are and everything you have this year?